Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Hope. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Verse 15, I believe it is. Let's start with verse 15. This is something that the Lord's been ministering to me, and I've been sharing this, but uh, it's real simple, and yet I'd say that most Christians really don't understand this, and it's necessary that you understand this. We're going to minister tonight about hope. And I used to think that hope was something that you weren't supposed to know about. Who wants to know anything about hope? Bless the Lord, I want to go on to faith. I want to get faith, and let's get to overcoming the world and all of these things. Well, I'm a faith preacher. I believe in faith, and I teach faith. But what we're going to share tonight, and I believe that you'll be able to see this by the time we get through, is that if you don't, first of all, have hope, you can't have faith. That hope is an integral part of faith, and because a lot of Christians today have been turned on to the faith message, and they've got to the point that they won't hardly even think of anything like faith, they've hindered their very own faith. Hope and faith function together. And if you listen to some of the things we're talking about tonight, I guarantee you it'll renew a fire on the inside of you, and it'll get your faith functional. It'll get faith motivated on the inside of you. So this is what we're going to be talking about. Out of Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 15, he says, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, and then here's what he wants you to start seeing, that you may see what is the hope of his calling and what the exceeding, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, and so forth and so on. But the first thing that he wanted you to see was the hope of his calling. That's what he's praying, that God would give you a revelation knowledge. And this is Paul. Paul is the one that wrote in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, that whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Paul believed in faith. Praise the Lord. Paul was a faith preacher, and yet he's saying, God, open up their eyes and give them a spiritual revelation of the hope of their calling. And because of a lack of revelation about the hope of our calling, our faith has not been functional like what it should. I want to show you, first of all, just a couple of scriptures about how important uh, hope is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a real familiar passage of scripture. We always talk about this as speaking about love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But in the last verse, it says, Now abideth faith, hope, charity, or God's kind of love. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. I agree that the greatest of the gifts that God has given us is His kind of love. That's great, but that's not to say that faith isn't important, amen, because Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. And in the same category as the scripture lists the love of God and the faith of God, it also puts hope in there. Hope is one of those things that's not going to pass away, amen. Praise God, hope is powerful. Right here it says, now abideth faith, hope, and charity. And if you'll take the time, I won't turn over there, but if you look in Romans chapter 8, I believe it's verse 24, the scripture says there that we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. So brothers and sisters, hope is important in your salvation. Did you know you can't get saved without hope? And you can't get healed without hope. And you can't get set free without hope. You can't receive anything from God without hope. Hope's important. So we're going to minister on hope, amen? 
Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. As we get into this tonight, you're going to see that hope comes by hearing the Word of God too. Amen. There's some scriptures that verify that. And so it needs to be ministered. How many of you ever heard a sermon preached on hope? Amen. The Word's getting around, isn't it? Some of you were at our meeting last week and heard it. Praise the Lord. But I tell you, we need to find out some things about hope because hope's important. First of all, what is hope? Well, for one thing, the Scripture says out of Romans chapter 8, that verse we quoted out of verse 24, I believe it is, it says that we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. In other words, hope is a future tense thing. It's something that you can't see. It is off in the future. The dictionary says that hope is looking forward to an expected or desired thing with some degree of expectancy. So it's future tense. And it's looking forward to something. But I believe that from Scripture, you could even nail it down further than that. You could say that, that uh, hope is more than just a future tense thing. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 13. And this Scripture will give us a revelation on some things about hope. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, the Scripture says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. So the first part of that verse says, hope deferred makes your heart sick. And then in the last part of that verse, it says, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. So you, it's, the scripture right here is using the word hope and desire interchangeably. You see that? The first part says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But you could say, but when the hope comes, it is a tree of life. But the scripture inserted the word desire in there. So hope, part of hope, is at least desire. Now, if you begin to look at it that way, boy, there's a lot of scriptures that minister uh, along those lines. Like, say, for instance, take some of the scriptures on faith that we minister from Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe those, those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Whatsoever things, therefore, uh, how's that go? Whatsoever, therefore, whatsoever things ye desire, when you pray, that's what it is. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and ye shall have them. Whatsoever things you desire. Well, the scripture just over here in Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 said that desire is a part of hope. So this is talking about, again, hope, you see, enters into these scriptures on faith. And then if you'll put this together with Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 where it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. What if you don't have anything hoped for? How are you going to get the substance of faith functional? You see what I'm saying? There's a lot of people that have just thrown hope out the window and say, oh, hope's not faith. Well, that's true. Hope is not faith. I agree. And let me also balance this out. There is a partial truth here. And that is that we've all come out of a background, I'd say all of us, I'd say probably the majority of us have come out of a background where all you were doing was hoping right? Wishing and a hoping and a praying. And so when you finally find out about truth, you just shelve hope. Let's get rid of the thing. I got the real thing. I got faith. Well, you need to get a balance in it. Bob Boos, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him, but Bob Boos wrote a book that's entitled As the Pendulum Swings. And what it's talking about is that one of the base, it, this is just the way that it happens. I can't say that God does it this way. He certainly doesn't. But the way that it has happened, my observation is that Christians are way over here on one extreme in bondage and they hear the truth about something and they swing plumb over here like this. 
and then the Lord shows them to turn wrong, and they start swinging back this way. And pretty soon, after a long time, they just wind down and settle down in the middle, and that's where the truth is. Y'all see that? And so a lot of us, all we were ever told was about hope, future tense. It's pie in the sky, by and by. One of these days, we're going to go be with the Lord, and then our salvation's going to start. Well, brothers and sisters, that's not the truth. Right now, I'm saved. Right now, I'm an overcomer. I'm the son of God right now here in my spiritual man. When I was raised back in this old denomination, all I could think of was heaven because that's all I had hope of. You couldn't get anything going here. I was just saved and stuck and putting in my time, hoping for a better day. And we always sing off, you know, they even sang this song in the denomination I was brought up in about hold the fort for I'm coming. God forbid. Who wants to hold the fort? Did you know the scripture says out of Matthew chapter 16, it says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. What are you doing trying to hold your fort and defend your plot of ground when the Bible says we're supposed to be on an offensive battle? We're supposed to be pushing the battle right to the gates of hell. Amen? Praise God. We're supposed to be fighting the devil on his ground instead of on our ground. But you see, that's the way that I was taught. Hold the fort for I'm coming. You're going to have trials and tribulations. Further along, we'll know all about it. Further along, we'll understand why. I'm just a poor wayfaring pilgrim. Amen? And I was really a poor, poor, poor wayfaring pilgrim. I was poor. I wasn't having much success at all. And so all of my hope was off in the future. Well, when I found out that God was alive and that right now faith is the victory that overcometh the world, not heaven, not later on, but right now my faith is overcoming the world. When I found that out, I got plumb excited. I really did. And I just shelved all of that to where I didn't even care to think about heaven. Who cares about heaven? I'm living right now. There's a partial truth in that, and that is that you've got to get your faith functional now. If you can't believe God now, what makes you think you're going to have enough faith to get into heaven? If everything you've got is future tense, and if you can't see anything happen now, what makes you think you got the real thing? So you see, there was a partial truth. At least I made one step in the right direction, but at the same time, don't throw away that hope of heaven. The Scripture says out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, talking about the second return of the Lord and our catching up with Him, it says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Have you ever felt like being comforted? Did you know one way to comfort yourself is thinking about the rewards laid up in store for you, thinking about seeing Jesus' faith? Brothers and sisters, we don't need to throw away that hope. We just need to get it balanced. We need to realize that that's not all there is, that right now we can have victory. You see what I'm saying? Well, the same thing happened to me concerning the area of hope. I quit hoping, and any time somebody mentioned something about hope, I said, oh, that's unbelief. Who wants to care anything about hope? I'm for faith, amen, right now. But then I began to study the Word, and I found out the Scripture says you're saved by hope, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And on and on it goes. There is a balance with hope. Hope is real. Hope shouldn't be thrown away. And also, something that I'd like to share with you tonight is, and I, I believe this is scripturally correct, that hope is the motivating force behind faith. Hope is what motivates your faith. If you don't have a hope, your faith has nothing to shoot towards. Like, for instance, what I'm talking about is, when I was back in this denomination, I was always taught that you can't believe God for a healing. You can't believe God for prosperity. You can't believe God for deliverance. Matter of fact, I was taught you couldn't believe God for anything except to get into heaven. That's about it. So that's what I was believing God for. And as a result, I had no hope of being healed. 
I had no hope of being prospered. I had no hope of succeeding right now. And guess what? I was doing it real well. I was being a flop in grand style. I really was. And I was one of the most religious persons in the church. I was religious. But you see, I didn't have any hope. Matter of fact, they carefully taught me not to have hope. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, now, don't get your hopes up? And they're trying to tell you to keep your hopes from getting up. Why? Because if you get your hopes up, somebody's going to go to doing something. Somebody's going to get excited, right? Well, they don't want you to get excited. Man, don't go to getting your hopes up about getting healed. Why? Because you're liable to get healed and blow their theology and their doctrine. <laughs> so they preach and they instill in you about not getting your hopes up. All that kind of stuff passed away with the apostles. Oh, you better watch that demon tongue stuff and on and on it goes. And they go to getting your hopes down and guess what? It has completely destroyed us. And one of the worst things that I find, and I find this same thing true with any minister I've ever been around, the worst thing for a minister to fight is apathy. Trying to get God's people motivated. You nearly have to come in here with suckers and ice cream cones or something to get people worked up enough to do anything. Of course, that's carnal, but I'm saying there's a lot of people that take that approach at it because a lot of Christians today are just apathetic. They really are. It's hard. You, you need to build a fire under some of them and get them going. And the reason for it is is because we have had it preached to us that you can't have hope, that you can't expect much. All you can expect is trials and tribulations and problems and sorrows and woes and things like this. That's what comes to make you perfect. Well, that's not true, amen. God doesn't send that stuff to make you perfect, and God did not ordain that we be bums and that we just have to suffer through this world and struggle and toil and drag through the mud. Ivan, on the way up here today, was telling me about a brother, uh, uncle of his that used to be a preacher, and he, would, he lived in houses that didn't have windows in them. He wouldn't hardly eat. It was a terrible situation. And it was because he thought that that's the way God intended it to be. And brothers and sisters, you know that's true. Most of us have thought that a preacher ought to be poor and have holes in the bottom of his shoes and a, and a seat of his pants shiny, right? And God forbid if they drive a nice car, well, what about them taking that money and doing something like that? You're supposed to be poor. You can be prosperous, but preachers supposed to be poor. We thought somebody's supposed to be close to the Lord. The closer to the Lord you got, the lower you got. Well, boy, that's not true. Abraham wasn't that way. Isaac wasn't that way. Jacob wasn't that way. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that by all of these blessings shall come upon you and all people of the earth shall see that you're called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you because of the prosperity, because of the blessing. God didn't ordain us to be beat down like that. But you see, religion today has just destroyed our hope. It's destroyed our vision. I believe also out of Proverbs chapter 28, verse 19, or either Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. I'm going to have to look this up. I think it's probably Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. The scripture says, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. I believe that hope is a vision. Hope is seeing a goal set before you. Hope is a desire. Hope is getting a, an idea fixed of what God wants you to be. Now, hope is not faith. Faith is what brings that goal and that reality into manifestation for you. But hope is where you get your goal fixed up there. 
And the scripture is saying where there is no vision, my people perish. You see, this is the reason so many people are perishing today and they're going to hell and a lot of them are even born again people are sitting in churches and rotten and drying up on the vine because they don't have any vision of anything better. I've talked to a lot of people that have gotten saved, that have come out of the mess that they've come out of, like Chuck was talking about, hey, his life has been so totally transforming. He didn't give you just a little bit of it. Well, I mean, the Lord has overhauled this man in just a short period of time. And I, I told him back there tonight before the service, I'm sure glad I didn't know him before he got saved. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I don't mean that bad. I'd have liked to have witnessed to him, but I mean, I'm just glad that he didn't come by every day the way he does now. Amen. Praise the Lord. But you see, I've, I've seen people that were so transformed and their life was really messed up. And I personally wondered, how can a person live like that? How can they live with the strife in their home that they have? How can they live with getting drunk every night? My next door neighbors, when I lived in Lamar, both of them were drunks. They got saved. Boy, they're totally transformed. She got delivered of leukemia. She was healed of leukemia and a bone disease and all kinds of stuff. Just transformed people. I asked them, how could you have stood that kind of life? It was because they didn't know that there was anything else. They didn't know that there was anything better. And I find this, that there are a lot of people today that the only way they are able to keep their head above water is the simple fact that they're looking around comparing themselves with everybody else and they're saying, well, it's just as bad for everybody. And that is the only way that they are able to cope with this life. If they saw somebody else that was prospering, man, they'd get so hungry for it that they couldn't stand it. That's the reason you and I are supposed to be living a victorious Christian life. Amen? But most people, the way they're coping with their problems is by simply looking around and their religion, is, their religion is telling them, oh, you can't live in prosperity. God doesn't heal today. It's not God's will to bless you, and on and on it goes. And because of that, it's destroying the hope, and it's taking away our motivation, and people are perishing because they don't have any vision. But brothers and sisters, what we're talking about tonight is that God wants you to get a vision, a goal, a hope set out before you get a revelation of the hope of your calling. Let you start seeing what God has set before you. And if you ever get the right goal set before you of what God wants you to be, I guarantee you it'll motivate your faith. You'll get to a point where you can't stand it. I remember I used to go to Catherine Kuhlman's meeting. I used to usher in all of her meetings in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I came out of that place one time saying, that woman can't be doing that through her own power. That's got to be God, and if God will do it for her, God's no respecter of persons, he'll do it for me. And I got a vision of that, and some people I know, if I'd have told them, would have thought I was the craziest thing on the face of the earth. But I began to set a goal, I began to set a vision and see that God was not the one that held things back. God would do it for me if I'd believed God. And since that time, praise God, we've seen every kind of miracle possible. I hadn't got the same ministry as what she's got, but we've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open, people raised from the dead, and miracles, miracles, miracles happening, amen. And it happened because there was a day that I finally saw that that was real and that there was working for somebody today, and I set a goal. I had a hope. And I said, praise God, if he'll do it for somebody, he'll do it for me. But there's a lot of Christians today that don't have any goal. They don't see a hope of their calling. They don't have anything to motivate them and get them going. Praise the Lord. The Scripture... Praise the Lord. Out of, uh, where is that scripture I'm looking for? Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Let's look at this scripture.
Romans chapter 15, verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. This scripture right here says that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. In other words, the scriptures minister hope to us. The scriptures minister hope in exactly the same way as faith comes by hearing the word of God. As you study the word of God, the word of God begins to paint a picture on the inside of you and set a vision and a hope, a goal up there in front of you. I remember when I first got turned on to the Lord, one of the first things I did was go to the word of God and start reading the book of Acts. And it was just like it. I'd never seen it in the Bible before. I didn't know that the book of Acts was in the Bible. Why did anybody ever tell me this before? Man, here was miracles, miracles, miracles. We were told those kind of things didn't happen. There it was in the Bible. And you know what that did? It began to paint a picture for me. It began to give me a hope. I began to set my hope on something better than the old Baptist had taught me. Amen. And if anybody here is Baptist, I'm not down on Baptist. I had somebody jump me about being down on Baptist. I'm equally upset with Methodists, Presbyterians, anybody, amen? <laughs> I'm not against Baptist. I'm against the doctrine that has destroyed and killed the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't care what name is on the front of the door. If they are not teaching what the Word of God says, it's bondage, amen? And I tell you, I was, I was not taught those things. And all of a sudden, when I began to read the Word of God, hope began to start coming. Now, I heard Charles Capps give an illustration about hope that really has helped me. And that is, he was talking about, uh, say, for instance, see, this room has heating and air conditioning in it. And it has these thermostats on the wall. It's got three of them in here. And he said, if you were to take some old guy that had never seen anything like this before, and if he was to come into this meeting, and if he was to sit down, all of a sudden he used to start getting hot. And about the time he got so hot he thought he was fixing to get up and leave, he starts feeling cold air blowing on him. And he looks up and this cold air is blowing out of this air conditioning duct. And he gets one of the ushers and says, what's happening? And God tells him, says, well, that's the air conditioner. And he says, well, how does that happen? He says, well, see that little thermostat on the wall? He said, that thing comes on and turns on cold air. And so that guy says, well, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Where do you get one of those? He says, well, you can go down to the hardware store and get a thermostat. So the guy goes down to the hardware store, gets a thermostat, takes it home, puts it on the wall of his little old shack, and he begins to get hot and sits there and look at that thermostat and say, why isn't this thing working? What's happening? I know that thermostat turned the cold air on in that meeting. What happened? Well, you see, that thermostat was not the power source at all. All it did is control or turn on the power source. It turned on the compressor that put out the cold air. Well, this is the relationship between faith and hope that we're talking about. Hope is not the victory that overcometh the world. Faith is the victory that overcometh the world. But hope is what motivates your faith. A person that has no hope, their faith can't function. A person that has never seen that God wants you to be prosperous and God wants you to be well, if you haven't got a vision of that first, you'll never be able to believe for it. Amen? A person that has never truly seen how God wants to prosper you and give you the desires of your heart, you'll never obtain unto it. A person that does not see how God is wanting to use you to lay hands on the sick and to go out and spread his word and lead people to the Lord, you'll never accomplish it. First of all, you've got to see that goal, and then you've got to get your faith functional to produce some substance off that hope and bring it to pass. But the point that I'm bringing out is that, first of all, you've got to develop that hope. And brothers and sisters, Satan has put down a well-planned... Um, attack against us, trying to destroy your hope through everything. Trying to de completely destroy it. The world doesn't have any hope. Amen? 
That's what the scripture says. The world just flat doesn't have any hope. The only way you're going to get this hope is through the Word of God, just like we shared out of Romans chapter 15, verse 4. That's where our hope comes from. The Scripture says out of Colossians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 27, it says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus is our hope. And unless you've got your, your uh, eyes stayed upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, you won't be able to develop any hope. If we... Uh, tie in to the things of this world, if we begin to listen to the doubt and the unbelief that the world is putting forth, it'll completely destroy your hope. There's a lot of Christians today that the vision within them is a vision of failure concerning the economy, things like that. They listen to what the world has to say. They listen to what the news has to say about it, and as a result, they see themselves failing. They see themselves sick. They see themselves having to take anison because it's got the higher level of pain relief and so on and so forth. They see themselves during flu season getting sick and having to respond to it because that's what they're filling themselves with. And brothers and sisters, the hope within most people, and I'm talking about even Christians, is nearly nil. It is nothing. Most Christians don't see what God wants us to be. And so we've got to start turning off some stuff. We've got to start listening to what God's Word says. We need to start seeing and praying this scripture we started with out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, that God would open up the eyes of our understanding and give us a hope of our calling. Because brothers and sisters, I promise you, once God shows you what you're supposed to be, you will not be content with being a one-day-a-week Christian going on Sunday morning and punching your time clock and paying your tithes to pay off God and keep Him off your back the rest of the week and go and do your little bit so that you can be respectable. A person that ever sees what God wants you to be, you can't be like that. Amen? Boy, I tell you, March the 24th, 1968, the Lord transformed my life. He really did. I was in a Southern Baptist pastor's study at midnight praying with the assistant pastor, the music director, and a bunch of my friends. We prayed every Saturday night from 10 o'clock till midnight. And the Lord, it's a long story, but miraculously, God just reached down and touched my life and opened up my eyes. I was 18 years old, and he transformed my entire thinking in just a few minutes' time. It was nothing but just a supernatural act of God. And in a, just a few minutes' time, I confessed that I was nothing but just a religious person. I directed everything there was to direct in that church. I was busy. I was doing, I was doing, I was doing. But the only vision I had, the way that I thought you served God was going out and doing a work for God. Amen. Go out and join a church. Go out and lead somebody to the Lord. Start a visitation program. I was a Baptist, and I heard this little poem one time. It went like Mary had a little lamb. It could have been a sheep, but she joined the Baptist church and died of lack of sleep. <laughs> and that's about true. They don't know how to tell you about the Holy Ghost. They don't know how to tell you about speaking in tongues. They don't know how to tell you about healing and about prosperity. So the only thing they can minister to you is go out and lead somebody to the Lord. And true, that is a blessing. And that will bless you to a degree, but that won't satisfy that old hunger on the inside of you. But boy, I was doing a work. I started a special youth night visitation program, and we were out leading four or five people. I mean, uh, visiting four or five extra people on Tuesday nights. I was burning up the woods. I was president of the choir. I was president of everything you could get to be president of. Everybody in that church, they'd, stand, they'd have me stand up and recognize me for starting a special youth night visitation program. 
But boy, on that Saturday night, the Lord showed me that all I'd been doing was working for myself, glorifying myself, getting all the praise for myself. And I mean, I totally sold my life out to God in the midst of that. And I was a totally changed person. God showed me how much he loved me. I didn't know, come here from Sikkim about the Word. I didn't know any more about the Word after that was over than I did before. But my vision was changed. All of a sudden, I saw a real person. Jesus was alive to me. And now, instead of making five extra visits on Tuesday night, we were making at least a hundred visits a day. Man, you couldn't keep me away from it. I had to quit school. I quit college because I didn't have time for it. We started a prayer meeting at 7 o'clock in the morning, and it went till about 10.30 or 11 every morning, and I missed all my classes. And as soon as that was out, we went knocking on doors. And then two of my friends moved into my mother's house with me so we could stay up and study the Word at night. Well, I mean, I got turned on because all of a sudden I saw a vision of a person. And you see, our churches are trying to motivate people to go out and do a work for God and do a work for God, and they're trying to build faith. Go out and witness to somebody. You better tithe and give your money into this church or God's going to burn your barley fields. I had a preacher that, that taught if you didn't tithe, God would take it out in doctor bills and all kinds of things. They try and motivate people by condemnation, but what they're missing is if you would just show people who Jesus is. If you would show people who Jesus is and how much Jesus loves us, I guarantee you don't have to beg anybody that's in love with Jesus to come to church. You don't have to beg anybody that's seen a vision of how God feels towards us to live for Him. Amen? Once I got that vision, I went down the next morning in that Baptist church and I told the people what happened to me. And I didn't know what to tell them. I just told them I'm different. And I said, I don't know how to explain this, but... I have rededicated my life every time an altar call is given. And I did. I was an altar bum. I went down to the front every revival service because I was sensitive to the Lord. I was trying to serve Him, and I just didn't know how. And every time they'd give an altar call, I'd go down to the front. And I'd go down there every time, rededicate, rededicate. And I told them, I said, I don't completely understand what happened, but I said, I gave my life 100% to God, and I'll never rededicate it again in my life. I said, it's God's. And did you know I found out after that that there is no such word as rededicate? There isn't even such a word. You look it up in the dictionary. There is no such word as rededicate because if something is truly dedicated, you do not have to rededicate it. If it's dedicated, it can't become undedicated. That was the problem with me. I was rededicating something that had never been dedicated in the first place, amen. I completely gave it over to God, and yes, I've fallen short, and yes, I've made mistakes, and yes, there's, had, there's times I've come to God and I said, Lord, I'm sorry, I fell short of that commitment that I made to you, but never one time have I had to come back and say, God, I rededicate or I dedicate myself again. My all-consuming desire since that night, March 24th, 1968, has been live for God. I've fallen short of it, but brothers and sisters, it's still motivating me because I saw hope. God gave me a hope. I didn't have faith at that time. I really didn't. I didn't know enough of the Word to have faith, but I had a goal set before me of being something better than just a Sunday-only Christian. Amen. I heard a man on the radio just the other day. comes on right after me. And I'm not saying what station. It's not any of these stations. And he comes on right after me, and he was sitting there saying some things about, that's the Christian life. You do everything you can and then ask God to add to it. Well, brothers and sisters, that's not the Christian life, amen. I don't do everything I can. I accept it from Jesus because of who he is, and then I act on what he's done, amen. It's all him, Christ in me, the hope of glory. But you see, a lot of people, that's their impression. I just struggle through and do all I can. 
But brothers and sisters, that's not true. God made you a world overcomer. You need to get your eyes opened up to that. You need to start setting a goal up there of what God intended you to be. You need to find out that God didn't ordain super saints in the body of Christ. God didn't touch some people and give me a special something that you can't have. God didn't touch somebody else and give them something that you can't have. Now, there may be different ministries. There may be different callings. You may never be called to stand up and minister like what I'm doing. But the Scripture says believers shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Believers are supposed to be doing this. A lot of us have had the impression that there are super saints in God's system. Some people that just got a corner on God. But that's not true. God, the thing that's going to transform people in the last days, and I'm excited about this, is the fact that God's rank and file members in the body of Christ are going to have the same power and anointing. They're going to go out and heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. And brothers and sisters, the world's going to look and they're going to say, Are you a preacher? And you'll say, No, I'm just a housewife. No, I'm a mailman. And they're going to have to say, It's got to be God. I tell you, before I became a preacher... I had a thousand times easier time witnessing to people because they'd say, you must be a preacher. No, I'm not a preacher. I'm a Christian. Amen. This is what the Word said. And when they'd hear some old rank and file member of the body of Christ say it, they'd listen. But now somebody, if I go to witnessing to them, you must be a preacher. And if I tell them I'm a preacher, then they say, well, that's your job. You're paid to do that. And they blow it off. And they say that's some trip that you're off on. But brothers and sisters, the thing that's different in this move that God's doing is it's not going to be one man that everybody's going to rally around. The past revivals have been centered around people. People have been the spearhead. But God is raising up his body. And every member of the body is getting to the point where you've got power and authority and they can see the blessings of God upon you. Where you have the authority to speak to demons and cast those things out. God's wanting his body to wake up and start seeing that he wants you, you, amen, the little old housewife, to be so powerful that if your mailman falls over dead on your doorsteps, raise him from the dead and lead him to the Lord, amen. That's the truth. We hold a Bible study in Lamar. We used to hold a Bible study in Lamar, and this is Dorothy, isn't it? Dorothy's sister, Ruth, and uh, how many sisters do you have? Six sisters, seven of them. Most of them live in Lamar, it seems like. And anyway, their mother died of a heart attack, wasn't it? She died of a heart attack. And Ruth and some of her other sisters that had been sitting under the ministry and that had been getting a vision, you see, that God wanted them to be anointed. When their mother died, I forgot which one it was, but anyway, they started calling the sisters. The sisters got over there. They didn't call me. They didn't call anybody else. They went to God. Why do they need to call me? They've got the same anointing power, the same name of Jesus, the same Holy Ghost as I've got. And they stood around that woman and commanded her back from the dead. And she rose up from the dead and walked into the town that afternoon to get some shopping done, amen. A bunch of housewives. And it caused no small stir. Praise the Lord. But you see, brothers and sisters, God's wanting you to open up your eyes and start seeing that he wants you to be that kind of powerhouse. Praise God for people that have an anointing on them. The Lord's given me an anointing, and I've seen miracles happen, and I believe that the gifts of the Holy Ghost function in my life, and I praise God for it. I am not belittling that, but I'm saying that this is only a temporary thing. The gifts that flow, you should come. If you can't get your faith functional, don't sit there and die, you old stubborn, hard-headed thing, you know, and sit there and say, I refuse to let anybody lay hands on me. I ought to be able to believe God for myself. 
Yes, you ought to be able to, but the Scripture says out of Ephesians chapter 4 that God gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come in the unity of the faith under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Jesus. God gave gifted people to the church. Use them, but don't substitute them for your own faith. Realize that it's a temporary thing. It's simply to keep you healthy, to keep you prosperous, to help you over the fence until your own faith can mature to that point, until we all come together in the unity of the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ Jesus. That's what it says in the book of Ephesians. God wants you to the measure, to the fullness of the stature of Christ Jesus. Can you see that? Praise God. The Scripture says out of Psalms chapter 82, verse 6, it says that he, the Lord Jesus quoted this in the New Testament and God was speaking and he said, I have said ye are all gods. And Jesus quoted that in the New Testament. God the Father, speaking of you and me, called us gods. What does that mean? That does not mean that you're divine. It does not mean that you're eternal, that you're omnipotent, that you're any of those things that God Almighty is. But the term God means that you are an absolute ruler, authority. You had absolute dominion. God created Adam to rule over this earth. Do you know that? God did not create Adam to be in bondage to the devil. God did not create Adam to be dumb, to be stupid. Adam was so smart that he named all of the animals that came to him in just a short period of time. That's quite a feat, you know it? How many of you would be able to name all the insects, all the birds, all of the animals, all the fish in the sea? Praise God, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? He wasn't any dummy. God gave him a superior mind. God meant for us to be above only and not beneath. And God created us as gods, as rulers over this earth. But when Satan came in, we fell. We came under Satan's dominion. Satan began to steal, to kill, and to destroy from us. And thousands of years later, most people have accepted what Satan has forced into this earth system as being natural. We've accepted it, and our goal and our hope is set on Satan. Now, a lot of people wouldn't like to admit to that, but that's the truth. I'd say probably most people in here, when you hit 30 years old, begin to confess, well, I'm going over the hill. Boy, I'm getting down over the hill now. And when you begin to see some gray hairs or something, well, I'm not as young as I used to be. And you start confessing this, you hit 60, boy, I've got to retire. I've got to quit. Did you know Adam didn't know any of that stuff? He lived to be 900 and how many years old? 51 or something. Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons that they lived so long was they didn't know how to die. They didn't know that at 60 years old you're supposed to retire. They didn't know about flu season. They didn't know about life expectancy. They didn't know anything. And Satan didn't have many inroads against them. They didn't confess that they were over the hill. They didn't even start having children until most of them were 300 years old. How many of you of y'all have said, well, we're getting a little old for this. I'm 30. I got to start slowing down. 40 for sure. 50, you just don't do things like that. <laughs> well, those guys didn't even start till they was 300, amen? They'd make most of us look pretty bad, wouldn't they? Praise God. Brothers and sisters, they had a hope. They didn't know how to submit to stuff, but most Christians have just accepted Satan's system. We think that at 60 years old, you've got to be decrepit, and brothers and sisters, that's not so. The Scripture says, according to your days, so shall your strength be. And if I live to be 120, I want to be strong at 120. Moses, it says, his eyesight was not dim, nor his natural force abated. 
and he lived to be 120 years old. His eyesight was strong. You don't have to put up with bad eyesight. Amen? His natural force was not abated. Caleb said, when it came time to enter into the promised land, he was 80 years old. He said, I am as strong today as I was 40 years ago. I am able to go out in battle and to come back in. Anybody can say they can go out, but I tell you, it's only somebody that knows what they're doing that says they can come back in. He knew his strength was there, 80 years old. Somebody says, well, now, wait a minute. Those were back in Bible days. Things were different. People lived longer back then. If you'll read Psalms chapter 90, guess who wrote Psalms chapter 90? Anybody know? Moses. Moses. It says that in fine print right under Psalms chapter 90. I'm not a Greek scholar. And you can verify it by looking in the book of Exodus because it's nearly word for word straight out of it. And in the 10th verse, Moses wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that the days of a man's years shall be threescore years and ten, seventy years. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet are they labor and sorrow and travail. He's not talking about physical problems. He's just simply saying that we're fighting the devil down here and you're going to have a fight all the time you're here. Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said the days of a man's years are 70 years. God didn't put 70 years down as a limit upon man's life. He put it as a limitation upon the devil. He allotted everybody 70 years. Not a maximum, but a minimum. And now that raises some questions. If that's a minimum, why are people dying below 70 years? Well, it's not because of God. God gave you 70 years, and if you die below it, you allow the devil to snuff your life out, or you quit. That doesn't mean that you go to hell. You can die and go to be with the Lord, but you don't have to die before you're 70 because God allotted you 70 years. Amen? And the Scripture says out of Psalms chapter 91, it says, With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. The Scripture says you'll be satisfied with long life. If you hit 70 years and if you aren't satisfied, go for another lap. Amen? Praise the Lord. Just keep going until you get satisfied is what the Scripture says. I don't believe anybody would take that and say, well, I'm going to live a thousand years. Who'd want to live a thousand years? Praise God. I want to go home and be with the Lord before then, but I'm not wanting to go yet, amen. I got a lot to do. Praise the Lord. Y'all see what we're saying? There's a lot of small things. A lot of people have accepted. We've allowed the devil to come at us and make us. We've taken Satan's viewpoint of things. But the Scripture says that you can be strong. The Scripture says you can be healthy. The Scripture says that you have the same power and the anointing that Jesus had. The Scripture says the same works that he did shall you do also and greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. God meant for you to be a world overcomer. God meant for you to be a God and for you to rule. And just because sin entered into the world, it didn't change the purpose of God because Jesus came and bought back what we lost through Adam. And brothers and sisters, God wants you to be a world overcomer. That's the reason you aren't content to sit there and just quit and give up. That's the reason people are spending literally millions and billions of dollars on recreation and on all kinds of stuff, drugs and dope and alcohol. They're trying to fill that longing on the inside of them. They aren't willing to be miserable. So they try and deaden themselves to it with all of these other kind of things. They're groping and reaching for something. But the thing that will satisfy it, the only thing that will satisfy that longing on the inside of us is Jesus. Amen? And brothers and sisters, I guarantee you, if you can get a hope of this, if you can begin to see what God wanted you to be, it'll begin to motivate you. People that have been having a hard time getting in God's Word and studying God's Word, I can tell you one of the reasons why is because they don't have any hope. Once God shows you something, and once you know that God's Word is the only way you're going to get the faith to get there, 
I guarantee you that'll motivate you to stay up late at night. That'll motivate you to turn off your boob tube, amen, and go to listening to God's Word instead of as the stomach turns. Amen? That's the truth. That'll motivate you to entertain yourself with something that's worth being entertained with instead of the trash and the junk and the doubt and the unbelief of the world. You'll be motivated when you get a picture of what God wants you to be. And brothers and sisters, I could testify to this in my own life. There's times that I've just wanted to sit down and quit and bawl and squall just like anybody else. Amen. I don't share my problems with people, but I tell you, I've had my share of them. And I've had Satan coming against me, and there's time just about a year and a half ago, I guess it was, where I'd had some people that I loved with all of my heart turn around and just, I mean, they couldn't have done me any worse if they'd have been my worst enemy. And they did everything they could. And I was determined I was going to sit down and cry and have myself a pity party. I'd already made up my mind. I deserved it. I gave up everything I had to come to Pritchett, Colorado, a little podunk center, 144 people. I thought I was going to have to leave their feet first. I gave up everything I ever had to come there and minister to a group of people, and they hated me for it. Boy, I did everything they could to destroy me. And I determined I was going to sit down and just throw in the towel, quit. I owed it to myself. And I sat down, and boy, the hope, the Lord showed me a vision. And even though everything looked totally, totally contrary to what I felt, I mean, to that vision that God had given me, I couldn't forget that hope. That hope was there. I expected more out of it. I knew that if I sat down and began to bellyache and moan and groan and cry and travail, that I was not living up to the standard that God had shown me I could. He said that he bore my sorrows and carried my griefs. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and with his stripes I am healed. And I don't have to have sorrow, and I don't have to have grief. I mean, I don't care what it is. If somebody that I love the most hates me the most, I don't have to have sorrow and grief. And God gave me a vision of that, and when I was right in the midst of it, I had everything prepared. I had time set aside so that I could sit down and bellyache about it. I just determined that, no, sir, I am not letting go of that hope. And that hope gave me something to shoot for. That hope motivated me, and my faith began to work. And I got up, and I started walking and saying, The chastisement of my peace is upon him. I cast all my care upon him, for he cares for me. I bring my thoughts into captivity, according to 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4, according to Matthew 6, 22. And I started quoting the word, and I started standing on it. My faith put me over, but my hope is what motivated me. You see? If I had have just gotten somebody seven steps to prosperity and sat down and like a computer spit them out and begun to speak them, then when the adversity and the persecution from the devil came trying to steal that word away from me, I would have thrown it away a long time ago. But I sat down and I developed a hope. I meditated and God has begun to show me some things and I've set some goals and I've made some commitments and some, some dedications in my life that, praise God, they motivate me. And when my faith is feeling low, my hope will undergird it. My hope will strengthen it. Amen? Let me show you a scripture to go along with this out of a, uh, Hebrews chapter 6. Praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 6. It says in verse 18, God swore to us and promised some things. And it says in verse 18 that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. 
which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that which into that within the veil whither the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek and that scripture says that our hope is like an anchor of the soul our soul is the part that gives us trouble did you know that? our spirit's saved our spirit's changed but our soul we're in the process of renewing our mind we're in the process of bringing our emotions under the control of the Holy Ghost Satan's hitting your soul with lust with thoughts with fears with discouragement with disbelief and all these kind of things your soul's a part that you need to bring into subjection and the scripture says hope is like an anchor of the soul that enters into that within the veil that means into the holy place it keeps you tied right there to the holy place amen and it doesn't let you go very far. What's the purpose of an anchor? To keep you from being blown around with every wind of doctrine. Amen? Brothers and sisters, we need to sit down and instead of... I'm not telling us to dis... Uh, not to put any importance on faith. Faith's terribly important, amen? We need it. But I'm saying along with that faith, spend time sitting down and seeing what God wants you to be. Before you can believe for healing... You may have to reach a point where you get honest with yourself and say, I just cannot believe that I am healed. I see it. I know that it's there. I'm not to that point yet, but I'm going to take this first step. I set a goal for myself that I am going to be healed. I know God's Word promises it, and praise God, I am going to have it. I can't say I'm there yet, but bless God, I am headed that direction, and by the grace of God, I'm going to get a hold of the Word of God, and faith's going to function, and I'm going to be set free. A lot of people haven't realized that that's a necessary step. And because they weren't able to make the whole jump all at one time, they got discouraged and quit along the way. Sit down and build your hope. Begin to meditate and say, Father, I see that by your stripes I was healed and that your will for me is total health. Total health. Divine health is better than divine healing. Amen? It's nice to know how to get healed. You need to know how to get healed, but it's even better to know how to keep from getting sick. I get plenty of opportunities to get sick. I just don't take them. Amen? I went in and made radio programs this last week, and I sat down to make radio programs, and immediately I started to sneeze. I was right in the middle of a radio program. I couldn't do it. And I fought that all the way through that radio program. In between the radio programs, I sneezed. And then the next radio program, my nose started filling up and it started to run. And I had to stop and blow my nose one time in the middle of the radio program. My mother, bless her heart, she's with me from Arlington, Texas. And she's still getting stronger in this. But she started badgering me about my runny nose. And I just kept saying, I don't have a runny nose. I will not have a runny nose. I am not going to take a runny nose. And anyway, I went on and made those radio programs. And I was fine the rest of the day. And later that night, the same thing hit me. And once the next morning, but it never lasted more than 20 or 30 minutes at any time. And praise God, I didn't get a cold. The devil knocked on my door and I just didn't answer it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, it's nice to know how to walk in divine health. The Lord showed me that that's better than getting divine healing. And I've got a goal of that. Amen. And I can't say that I've totally reached it, but I can say, praise God, I'm pressing on towards the mark. I'm getting closer and closer, and that hope is going to keep my faith motivating, and I am going to reach that point. Amen? I'm going to reach a point where I don't have to fight it for a day. It'll be over immediately. Satan will have to go push his wares with somebody else. Amen? Praise God. Do you all see that? You need to sit down and begin to build a hope on the inside of you. You need to see what God says you're supposed to be. That's the reason we were talking about uh, earlier in the service about this service tomorrow afternoon about a Christian home. 
as we share about what a Christian home is like. Did you know most Christians today have just given their home over to the devil? And they use as their standard of what a Christian home is supposed to be, these soap operas. And they figure that this is just the way it is with everybody. God forbid. We aren't everybody. We're brand new creatures. God didn't ordain that we have strife. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to have a cold war with your husband or with your wife. You don't have to have strife. It does not have to be just a hair breath from a fight all of the time. That is not normal. That may be normal for the world, but that's not normal for Christians. And if you'd begin to see what God promised us in His Word and set your goal up there, I guarantee you, your faith would begin to bring that into manifestation. But so many Christians today have sold their home over to the devil. In the area of child training, so many people just expect that, well, terrible twos, you know. You're going to have the terrible twos. Kids are just intolerable at two years old. That is a lie from the devil, amen. God didn't make terrible twos. There's terrible twos because people don't discipline their kids and the devil gets in and they look around and everybody says, well, everybody has that problem at two, so you accept it, put your stamp of approval on it, and you got it. Amen? You don't have to have a generation gap. That's a lie from the devil. There is a tremendous generation gap, but God didn't do it. The devil did it, and you can stop it if you'll act on the Word of God. You don't have to have your children and your teenagers listening to rock music. I don't care what the norm is. God's Word promises you victory over that. God's Word promises you that they'll never depart. Did you know a lot of people misuse that scripture? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Most people interpret that as saying when they're old, they'll come back to it. That scripture says when they're old, they will not depart from it. I can stand on the Word of God and say my children, because they're being trained in the way they should go, will not, will not depart from it. Not depart and come back. They will not depart from it. Somebody can say, well, that's a very bold statement. You can't, you're going to have to just hide and watch, amen, because it's going to work. God's Word promises. That's a whole other teaching. I got some tapes back there on child training that you ought to get. There's a difference between teaching and training. There's lots of people that teach their kids the right things, but they train them to be disobedient, and that won't work. But brothers and sisters, what I'm saying is a lot of us have not set a high standard for our kid. We expect our kid to be just like the world's kids, and as a result, guess what? They're just exactly like the world's kids. We need to get a vision. You need to start seeing your home as being something special. You need to start seeing that you're somebody special in the eyes of the Lord. You need to start expecting miracles. Things don't happen if you don't expect it. Did you know... Peter walked along and his shadow fell on people and they were healed. Miracles happened just by his shadow touching people. And we think, isn't that great? I wish the Lord would do that for me. I am thoroughly convinced by the Word of God. The Scripture says that everything we get comes through faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. No power working in you, God can't do anything. So I am thoroughly convinced that when Peter walked along and his shadow fell on people, it wasn't something that God just chose to do. Peter believed for that. Peter was believing that there was enough anointing in the power of God on the inside of him that his shadow would touch people and they'd be healed. I believe he believed for it because faith motivates God. He was expecting the miraculous. Now, he may not have been expecting his shadow to do it, but he was believing that as he walked along, even as he saw in the life of Jesus, that when Jesus walked into the synagogues that the demons would cry out and leave people and come out of them, Jesus gave Peter a hope, a vision. 
And Peter expected the same thing for himself. He was believing for it. It's the reason it happened. How many of y'all have believed that when your shadow touches somebody, they're going to be healed? That's exactly the reason it hadn't happened. Amen? You've had it happen. Well, you believe for it if it happened. Well, it's going to happen, sister. If you can believe, if your faith is based on the Word of God, it'll sure work. Did you know before we saw a man raised from the dead, I confessed for years and for years and for years that we were going to see a man raised from the dead because God's Word said in Matthew chapter 10 that you shall lay hands on... I mean, excuse me, it says, Go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you receive, freely give. And it says in the same sentence, says, Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Pretty strong, huh? And I said, if God gave me the command to do that and said, the works that I did, shall he do also? I mean, the works that he did, shall I do also and greater works than these? If he said that I could do that, praise God, I can do it. And I confessed it. And with my words and with my meditation, I painted that picture and I set my hope for that for years before we ever saw it come to pass. And we did see it come to pass with the sheriff of Pritchett, Colorado, standing right there watching the whole thing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you need to set a goal. You need to start meditating and seeing what God wants you to be, and you need to get a hope on the inside of you. Most people have thought that it was nearly sin to get your hopes up. Boy, that's wrong. The world is afraid of getting your hopes up because just like Proverbs 13:12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So the way to keep you from getting disappointed is never get your hopes up. Right? And that's basically the way the world works. Don't ever believe for anything and you'll never be disappointed. Amen? That's what the world, that's what the religious world teaches. I ministered to a man that was in a wheelchair one time, and I told him that he could be healed. Prayed for him. He was paralyzed, and he started kicking his feet. They started bouncing up and down and moving his feet around. I know God healed him. And I tried to get him to get up out of that wheelchair, and he had a tube in him from an operation. And I was real young back then. I didn't know what to do. Now I would have pulled a tube out and I stuck my finger in, amen, and I told him to get up and get with it. But back then, I told him, just, you know, take it easy, and when you get around to it, when the doctor takes it out and says you can, get up and walk. Anyway, that man never got out of his wheelchair. And I went back and talked to him later, and what it amounted to, he began to say, but people at my church think I'm such a great witness this way. But God's using me this way. I got to preach on Layman Sunday. They got to roll me up there in my wheelchair, and I preached on Layman Sunday. And what it amounted to, he used to be the county sheriff. He had worked for a living for 10 years. He had been paralyzed, and he couldn't cope with it. He was a success sitting in his wheelchair, and if he tried to get up, he might be a flop. He ran the risk of being a failure. And that's true. And brothers and sisters, there are multitudes of Christians today that are warming a pew and reading their daily Bible readings five minutes before they go to bed at night so they can mark it on their Sunday school report and doing all of the religious things, but they aren't truly getting into God and they aren't getting with it because they have no hope. They aren't wanting to get their hopes up. They like being complacent. They like being where they are because they're just like everybody else in their church. Amen. They are sociably acceptable and they don't have to seek God. They don't have to have any anointing on their life. They don't have to operate in faith. They had rather put in their time and go to some old dead place and be accepted than to run the risk of getting out of the old traditional denominationalism and stand up for God and be counted. Amen. It runs a risk of failure. It really does. I tell you, the way we operate, I, I'm not confessing this, but I'm saying that if you were to look at it from the world's viewpoint, we could be in the poorhouse tomorrow. 
Amen. We, we face that every day. And there's a lot of pressure to start begging and pleading. And, oh, please, you've got to give or we're going to go off the radio. We're going to fail. We're a faith minister. Well, I'll go down the drain before I'll do that. Amen. Because i got a hope and i got a goal set there. And I tell you, I'm running the risk of failure by doing things the way I'm doing. But I believe with God that my faith is going to overcome. Amen. If you don't want to get in and fight it, if you don't want to stand, you might as well quit. Amen. Because God didn't call anybody to sit there and be what the world has considered a nominal Christian. A nominal Christian today isn't born again. That what the world calls a normal Christian is not a born again person. What we see today is so subnormal that if we ever become normal, the world thinks we're abnormal, right? And goes to calling you fanatic. And goes to calling you all kinds of things. Brothers and sisters, God wants you to be on fire. A man that ministered to me and really helped me, he always said, Andy, if you'll catch on fire, the world will come watch you burn. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.